Welcome to On Hold, the podcast with a mission to find and interview leaders with unique experiences and radically different ideas for driving customer-centric change. Hello and welcome to the On Hold podcast hosted by me, Ben Goody from the Sentisum team. This week, we have another incredible guest, Ed Deason, the head of customer service at Pret-a-Manger, the international sandwich and coffee shop chain. Ed has mainly worked in the past in customer service, support and experience in the travel industry. He's done that for the past 13 years before moving to Pret in January 2020, right before the UK went into lockdown. In this episode, we start off discussing the travel industry, the challenges facing holiday providers who don't own every touch point, why customer experience is so important in the holiday industry, and how to maintain an 85% response rate on customer surveys. We then moved on to talking about Pret, which has had a crazy year. Pret has built up 30 years of experience in the high street. They've got 500 retail stores and 100% of their revenue, which was 700 million last year, was derived from in-store purchases. And earlier this year, in March, every store closed overnight. We learned how Pret responded, the impact on customer service, and how Pret quickly pivoted from customers coming to them to meeting their customers at their homes. We also get a hint of what projects are next for Pret and how they'll continue to build experiences that fit their values and brand promises. If you enjoyed the episode, please take 10 seconds and head over to Apple Podcasts and rate us. No need to leave a review if you don't want, but those five-star ratings mean a lot to spreading our message about building experiences that are radically better for the customer. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Ben. It's really going to be an interesting chat. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so the way we've been approaching this with every guest to start off with is three favorite things and to try to get just to get the conversation started, but also to get some tips from you. First one is what's been your favorite customer experience lately or your favorite company that you've been like admiring the way they're doing their customer experience? So I was was having a think about this the other day and I'm not sure I've had any sort of really standout customer experiences recently. And I don't know if that's maybe because I suppose I'm I'm, I'm in this area and I'm more discerning as a result, or uh, maybe it's just because I've been interacting with more companies online. So you get less of that kind of face-to-face interaction, I suppose, that opportunity to provide that exceptional service. But I think maybe not proud to admit it, but I think if you look at Amazon, for me, they they are standout at the moment because you, you... know exactly what you're getting they provide an absolutely consistent customer experience i've certainly like a lot of people in lockdown i think i've probably been shopping online more and more and like i say with amazon you know exactly what you're getting they keep you in the loop the whole time and the the shopping is really intuitive they might not be the best in terms of a corporational approach but (laughs) but they are providing a great customer experience yeah they've definitely nailed it haven't they i think every everything from just their prime stuff to yeah being subscription to getting next day deliveries it's like everything that you want it's hard not to use them as much as a lot of almost everyone would say oh then yeah they're not being very ethical as a company but extremely useful yeah that's it isn't it i think for, for a lot of people ease of experience can outrank other concerns okay perfect that's a good answer no one said amazon yet but I'm surprised by that. Okay, second favorite. Do you have a favorite influencer or podcast or blog that you learn from in this industry? Oh, 100%. Now, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's necessarily strictly limited to, to customer experience as such, but there is a blog called 
Barnum Street, and it's run by a chap called Shane Parrish. And, and broadly, it's about better decision making, but it genuinely, it covers a little bit of everything. So whether that's mental models that you can use and the biases and heuristics that we all use as individuals, historical examples of success and failures, genuinely, it's, it's a truly exceptional blog. And it's really about how you, as an individual, make better decisions, how you can encourage other people to make better decisions and how you can identify where you're make, taking shortcuts perhaps and taking approaches that aren't going to be successful for you in the long run. There's a random article button on the front page and it's easy to lose yourself for a couple of hours down the rabbit hole following sort of link to link and article to article but I've genuinely never left that blog without feeling smarter. That's just what you want. Is it personal decision making or is it like from a business? perspective it's everything absolutely everything so it's it's about generally just making better decisions whether that's in your personal life whether that's in your business life whether that's your whether you're setting out on new things or reflecting on things that you're currently doing and it's there are so many so many exceptional real life examples used as well throughout he, he uses examples throughout history he uses the latest mental models he, he'll talk about Kahneman and heuristics and biases and yeah genuinely it's the best blog I think I've read. Wow, okay, you've really sold it. I'm definitely gonna get on that. Critical thinking and the ways of making decisions is 100% something that everyone needs to learn more about. Yeah, absolutely, and he talks a lot about I suppose there are key underlying mental models. There's, I think he's got a list of them on the site, which, and these are models that you can, you can and will use day in, day out. And if you try and work them into your repertoire, if you like, your, your decision-making will improve a hundredfold. I'll lose myself in that later, no doubt. Okay, last favourite. What's your favourite thing about working so closely with customers? This is a really interesting question. I think for me personally, it's seeing just how much uh, a brand can actually affect customers, affect consumers. So I think it's easy to forget when you're in business sometimes that there is a customer at the end of your sale and or there's a real individual or a real person at the end of it. But working in customer experience, you see some of those kind of really exceptional customer experiences being delivered and what they mean for customers. I worked in the travel industry and the travel industry, is, it's all about emotion. It's all about providing really memorable experiences for people. So examples like uh, in one of the places I worked, we had a customer who traveled with us over a hundred times and he'd been literally all over the world with us. And we were a huge part of his personal identity. And there are other people, for example, that had, that had honeymooned with us when they got married 30 years ago and they were returning for their 30th wedding anniversary to the same resort, to the same hotel was still being run by the same family so for me it's about seeing how and kind of feeling how as a brand we can impact on people's lives yeah that's quite it's quite a responsibility really if they've had good experiences with you they remember you you take up a little bit of their mental space and, and loyalty and all that kind of stuff yeah absolutely and i think maybe it's perhaps it's slightly skewed by the, the industries that i worked in hospitality and travel where you have you know travel holidays for people it's probably the biggest purchase they're going to make that year you know you don't buy cars every year you don't buy houses every year but you probably buy a holiday every year so they're incredibly important to people and they're so emotive as well because you you wait all year to go on holiday with your loved ones so it's no surprise i suppose that as a holiday brand or hospitality brand you can have a big impact on people's well-being and people's emotions and they feel connected with you that's so true it's one of those purchases like you're actually taking time off work it's a limited time like you want it to be good you're spending a lot of money a lot of people see that as their outlet that's where they get their kind of why they work all year for kind of thing and it's holidays are an expression of people as well aren't they you express yourself by your holiday you know you you go oh you, i'm a traveler I'm, I'm going somewhere exotic this year or i love to party i'm going to ibiza this year and they're, they're yeah, like I said, they're a bit of an expression of your personality as well. 
It sounds like customer experience in that industry would be really fun because it is so full of emotion. Yeah, very fun, but very challenging as well. I bet. So you're talking about your work at Hotel Plan, right? Could you tell us a bit more about that and your background in this space? So I started my career at Royal Caribbean. So I left school around 18, no real idea of what I wanted to do. And I got a, a temp job working for Royal Caribbean, who are one of the cru largest cruise lines in the world, based out of Miami. Enormous, incredible cruise line. The ships are just unreal. The largest cruise ships in the world. So a really exciting place to start my first job, if you like. So I worked in the customer service team and, and eventually worked my way up to manager. Before I, so, so Royal Caribbean is an enormous blue chip company, listed uh, on the US stock market. And then from then I moved over to Explore, which was a complete opposite, a tiny company offering adventure travel holidays and based in the UK. Those industries sound great to work for because, I don't know, if you play your cards right, you could get some fun perks out of them. Did you get to go on any cruises or free adventure holidays? This is the same question that everyone asks. Oh, you're in the travel industry. You must get a lot of free holidays. <laughs> yes, I think it's fair to say that you do get some perks from working in the travel industry, and one of them tends to be holidays. So, yeah, been on some cruises, been on some adventure trips. That sounds like so much fun. Have you got any examples of places you've been to? Yes, absolutely. Okay. My favorite trip was with Explore, so adventure travel, and we went to, uh, I took my wife to the Galapagos Islands, and that was truly incredible. Yeah, and if anyone listening has the opportunity to go, do. Yeah, I'd love to for sure. So at each of these companies that you've been at, were you in the customer service team, like dealing with customer contacts, or were you more focused on the customer experience side of things? And I'd really be interested to know how you've seen those two interlink and work together. So it's been a bit of a mixed bag. So certainly Royal Caribbean, I was heading up the customer service team, and that was largely just a, a kind of purely operational customer service role. And then moving to Explore, I did a bit of both, actually. So at Explore, I was the customer service manager to start with. And then we really identified uh, a need for a real focus on customer experience as there have been some technical challenges with the rollout of a new booking system and, and kind of at, at the heart of any travel business is their booking system. So we'd rolled this out, it was over budget and and as a result, we'd, we'd really been impacting customer experience. And, and Explore has hugely loyal customers. So we were at real risk of turning some of these customers off for good. From the customer service role at Explore, I moved into a customer, kind of a purely customer experience role and really focused on restoring customer loyalty, improving those customer experiences that, where we'd had the challenges with, with the new booking system. Wow, that's really interesting. Can we dig into that a little bit? Like, how did you measure the customer's feedback? How did you understand that there were issues? What did you do to improve the customer experience in the booking system on this project? Yeah, absolutely. I suppose it was one of those ones where it was fairly obvious to explore. We were, we had rolled out this new tech system, but as a part of it, there were so many kind of elements that were that became manual. So it became manual for our teams trying to make the bookings and became manual for our customers as well. And it was really impacting on their experience because adventure travel is not like your fly and flop beach holiday if you like you need to provide more information when you book so you need to provide insurance details you need to be comfortable that you're fit enough and you're healthy enough and you understand what going on an adventure holiday means so there's a lot more back and forth with a, with a holiday company than there might be with an adventure holiday company than there might be with a beach holiday company for example where you can sign up 
book and you're done and you just turn up at the airport. So we identified that we were really having customers who were not having a great kind of booking and post-booking experience before they went on holiday. So the holidays were still exceptional. They were the same holidays they'd always been, but that lead up to the holiday was not memorable for the right reasons. And we want people to be excited on the, the run up to their holiday rather than concerned or frustrated. So one of the, one of the key initiatives there was introducing a self-service portal for customers, which enabled them to do a lot of access the things they needed, access the information they needed at the right time, make sure that we were talking to them at the right time and just making things much easier for them. I think it's so interesting that it's so often the case that people just want clear information uh, and an easy way to access that information. It's exactly the same with the pandemic response in almost every country. We just want a clear timeline about what's going on and some clarity. In, your, in Adventure Bookings, it's complex and people just want access to that information about what they can expect. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think when you go on holiday, as I said, it's an expensive purchase. It's a purchase that you're emotionally invested in. You want to be comfortable. You want to be excited on the run up to it. You want to know exactly where you need to be, exactly when you need to be there. You want to know that you're insured and that you're covered and that you're safe. And you don't want to have to fight for that information. Yeah, definitely. So what exactly was it like before and then after? these projects we saw i mean we saw a huge improvement in customer satisfaction it was like i say it we automated a, a serious number of manual processes we started speaking to customers in different ways we started presenting information at a time that was more convenient for them we also moved uh, a lot of the customer satisfaction surveys and this has been a bit of a theme through my travel industry experiences we moved our customer satisfaction surveys online as well if, if you've been on holiday before you'll be familiar with the being handed the, the paper questionnaire on the bus or on the airplane perhaps to say to, to let them know what your experience was like and we moved that online to make it easier for our customers to make it more convenient and so we could sort of analyze the data and produce better insights from it interesting i imagine there must have been a difference in the response rates from getting emailed customer satisfaction surveys or getting handed them in person did you have any challenges there or were you worried about you know difference in bias and who was responding and the response rates yeah, 100%. So I'll talk about hotel plan here, actually, because this was one of our biggest concerns when we did a hotel plan. So like I said, Explore customers are very loyal and very engaged with the brand. So actually, there were people who were very keen to provide feedback anyway. So we didn't see such a huge challenge with Explore. When we tried this, when we were doing it, a hotel plan, we used to use the paper surveys and we had something like an 85% response rate on paper surveys, which is, you know, if anyone in the customer experience world knows, that's a pretty exceptional response rate. And And, and these surveys were... The fundamental basis of how we assessed the performance of the hotels we used, the transport providers we used, and take it back a step. Hotel plan is a tour operator, and that means that we package the holiday together. So we bring the flights together, we bring the transport together, we bring the hotels together so that the customer has this kind of combined experience. But the real challenge as a tour operator is you don't actually own the hotel, you don't own the transport provider, you don't own the airline. So you can get very different customer experiences at each of those touch points. You might have a wonderful bus driver who talks about all the sites as he drives you to a hotel and then a terrible check-in experience. So you've got that real dissonance between different elements of the holiday. So for us, these customer experience surveys were, and customer satisfaction surveys were absolutely critical to ensuring that we could make sure our customers had a consistent, enjoyable experience. So there was a real concern within the business that by moving online, we'd lose a lot of those, a lot of that context, we'd lose a lot of those responses from 85% to typically online, you might get 10 or 15%. 
So we put together this really thorough kind of comprehensive plan about how we would be requesting this information. And in the end, we worked a few different touch points in with our customers. So we still used some cards. So we, we still handed them cards, but they had a QR code on them so they could scan and go straight to it. We followed up with emails and we followed up with SMS as well. And in the end, our response rates were almost comparable with the paper surveys. And it was so critical to the business to get this right as well. It was, like I say, that this was the only way of feeding back satisfaction levels to our suppliers, which is absolutely critical when you don't own all of those as different parts. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point that if you don't own all the touch points, how do you monitor that or how do you own your customer's experience? Absolutely. And for us, it's about really building deep, lasting partnerships. Some of the some of the hoteliers we worked with, for example, had been working with a hotel plan for 30 years or so from father to son. You know, these were these were family owned hotels in Austria that we'd worked with for years. So it was critical that we could give this information, this feedback back to them. That's such a fascinating point. And it's definitely something we've come across in our customers. And I think airlines travel they all have this problem where they don't own all of the touch points along their customers experience and they can't necessarily impact it i think you know if you look at e-commerce for example it's it's fairly simple you generally own most of those steps yourself perhaps the only bit you don't own is the courier but it's a fairly standard transaction whereas when you get into something where there are huge swathes of the journey that you don't own and that journey could go on for two weeks for example, it's it, it becomes a kind of a key part of what you do in customer experience. Yeah. If you've sold a holiday and then your provider actually like cheaps out on the food when they get there or something, I don't know what it would be. Like that would be really annoying. And you'd feel a bit conned by the tour holiday person who sold you this. Yeah, absolutely. You don't if you're an individual making one holiday purchase from a company, as far as you're concerned, it's that company that's responsible. The consumer is not fussed. I suppose they don't care whether it's the airline that's messed up or the hotelier that's messed up or the transport company that's messed up as far as they're concerned it's you that's messed up so i think travel really presents a lot of exceptional challenges for customer experience definitely i just saw i saw on your linkedin that yeah even at royal caribbean cruises that you say like handling forty thousand contacts yearly how did that change at the explore and hotel plan and how do you deal with that many yeah, team size is usually the answer to that. So yeah, the volume difference between sort of Royal Caribbean and Explorers was pretty extreme. And as a result, the team sizes differed significantly between the two. I wouldn't say there's a, a desperately different approach other than to say for Royal Caribbean is probably a bit easier because you do own a lot of that journey. You know, most of the experience that the customers have is on board the ships themselves and the company owns the ships and the company own, uh, runs those ships. So you do have more control over it than say, I don't know, a shepherd hut in Turkey, for example, or a, or a, a tented encampment in Jordan. So I would say that Explore was the kind of the real pointy end of tour operating where you have so many different places to stay and so many different transport providers involved. Were customers calling you from like a shepherd's hut in Turkey and saying, this is an issue, can you sort it out? If they could get reception sometimes, yeah. I think one of the interesting things about travel as well is that sometimes you, you are dealing with things in the moment. Often, again, if you, you know, think about e-commerce, for example, typically you're dealing the customers receive the product and it doesn't work or there's an issue with it. Whereas for travel, that customer might well still be on holiday for another five days. So you've got to really think about what can we do right now in this moment to turn this experience around for the customer. What you don't want to do is say, sorry, there's nothing we can do. Mm -hmm. Then spend another seven days frustrated and not enjoying their holiday and then coming home and, and raising that issue. That's a really good point, isn't it? Because like with, a, with an e-commerce company, you'd call them and you'd maybe say, 
my package was late or it arrived damaged and you get it sorted out. But if you're on holiday, you need that sorted out right now. It's not why we can return the holiday, is it? For a replacement. So you have to be really creative, I think. And you've got to, you've really got to be prepared to work with the customer to understand what their needs are, what you can do to support them and what you can do to turn that experience around for them in that moment. How do you approach that challenge? Like what was the normal case of this? And like, how do you actually sort them out? Yeah, that's it. For those customers that are contacted on holiday, it, it really, I suppose, it's getting to the bottom of what their needs are in that moment, for example. Perhaps you've got someone with mobility issues that maybe didn't declare it at the time or hadn't understood what the place they're, they're staying at might be like. So yes, you could say you didn't tell us, but that fundamentally isn't going to solve it for the customer. So it's about understanding, right, what are your needs? How can we make this easier for you? Could we move your room to the ground floor, for example? Could we move your room next to a lift? Would these be things that would help? And just, yeah, it's, I suppose it's like a lot of customer service, just a little bit more complicated sometimes in that you have three or four people to work with to find that resolution. It sounds like you were pretty on it compared to a couple of the travel experiences that I've had. But I think you shared a lot of good insights there for people in the travel industry about owning their customer experience. So let's talk about Pret. So you moved to Pret this year. What a crazy time to join any company. I moved to Pret at the start of this year, about four weeks before we went into the first UK lockdown. Did you see it coming? I wish I had. How has Pret been affected by the pandemic? And I guess, obviously, we know that there's been everything shut down, but what's it been like internally? How has everyone been? What's the anxiety level of the company right now? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I think, so yeah, first of all, obviously, Pret uh, was very successful business. Last year, I think we made close to a billion in revenue. We have over 500 shops and a significant proportion of those are in the city of London. So what was like all hospitality venues on the, what was it, the 26th of March or something around there, overnight, all of our shops closed. So our revenue went from a pretty exceptional figure to zero overnight, like all kind of bricks and mortar retailers. So that was, uh, I think you could probably say there's a, there was a pretty severe anxiety spike then and then we've been doing our best to react to it over the last six to nine months yeah it's just crazy to think i can't imagine what you do when your revenue goes to zero like every plan that you've had suddenly has to be like oh can we afford this should we be saving that money yeah i wouldn't presume to speak for the board of prep but it's <laughs> yeah i think Again, like I said, with every hospitality business, you essentially shut your doors and that is your, that's your source of revenue. If you're a bricks and mortar retailer and that is all you do, then your revenue drops to zero overnight. And that is, that's a pretty intense position to be in. And it's not a situation that realistically anyone predicted. I think what, what's particularly interesting is if you reflect on the last year or so, the people's main concern has been Brexit. I don't think, I don't think a global pandemic was even on anyone's radar. So one minute, everyone's preparing for Brexit, trying to make sure that supply chains are holding together and that we can get our goods and services. And overnight, it's how can we even sell our products? Every challenge has changed tags. Absolutely. What about in the customer service team? Like how did things change? So you must have just got up to speed, sort of, or just about get up to speed in this role. And then this happens. I mean, what did you see differently on the day-to-day? -day? I mean, at its most simple, I suppose, our, our customer contacts dropped to essentially uh, tiny levels overnight with people not able to come into our shops. There, was, there were fewer complaints, there were fewer issues. So on the customer satisfaction side, there was, so our, our, I suppose that real kind of that first four-week period after lockdown when, when broadly everything was shut and we maybe only had a few shops starting to open up. It was really about how do we engage with our customers? How do we remind them that we're still here? How do we keep ourselves front of mind when they can't pop in and meet our really friendly staff every day and they can't buy a cookie and their, their 
flat white, and they want to say it's so how do we stay front of mind? And also, how do we do the right thing for our customers as well? It was really important to us, just as it was coming clear that lockdown might be something that happened, that the NHS, for example, was under a huge amount of strain. So we went out and, and offered our kind of our NHS key workers free hot drinks because we recognized the, the incredible pressure they were under and really discounted lunches as well. So they could pop in and not too, not worry too much about, about that when they had plenty of other things to, to be worrying about. So we wanted to try and ensure we were doing the right thing. When we closed all of our shops as well, we donated a lot of our unsold food to charities that needed it, to hospitals, to homeless charities, to make sure that if we weren't going to be open anytime soon, that at least people were benefiting from from our supplies and our resources. I mean, that would have been like a sort of tragic waste of food if all of that had just gone in the bin as well. Yeah, it would have been an incredible waste. And there were so many people working so hard at that point. It was for us, and they might not be our typical customers, if you like, but it, but it was the right thing to do. And that's always been one of Pratt's key principles. I think the, like the world is 100% watching what brands do in times like that. And it's really important how they respond, how they care about like the NHS, for example. It's like so important to so many people. Yeah, absolutely. We had, this certainly wasn't the part of the, the plan, but we had 20,000 contacts on social media and just so many people saying how grateful they were and that they were pleased that brands were thinking of them and that we were recognizing the, the tough times ahead. So did you stay open in hospitals? Is that right? No, absolutely not. For purely for sort of safety reasons, we had to close all of our shops. And I suppose about three, three or four weeks later, we started to open up our shops for takeaway only. And we did it in kind of small batches to ensure that we were opening safely. That primarily, actually, when we first reopened, we opened near hospitals. So, so with the aim that we would be able to provide NHS staff with with their food and with their lunches. So we didn't stay open in hospitals through that first period, but then we began to reopen near hospitals initially. I think it's interesting that because you talk a lot about customer experience. So would, is it under your sort of mandate as the head of customer service to also be quite heavily involved in customer experience? Yes, yeah, so we don't have a, a kind of a head of customer experience at Pratt. So I am I'm heavily involved in it, as are a few of my colleagues. So we have you know quite a lot of projects going on at the moment where there needs to be a customer experience focus as well. So that's typically falls to me as I'm so close to customer experience at the moment. Okay, that's really interesting. So you, as as a company, Pratt, you pivoted. I mean, first of all, you closed the stores and then you pivoted to near NHS hospitals and you moved to takeaway only. Is that right? How did you change the in-store experience? Yeah, I, well, I think our in-store experience is one of the, uh, the biggest things. So obviously now it's, it's a requirement for customers to wear masks, for our team members to wear masks. We've placed, we've taken, I suppose, like a lot of bricks and mortar retailers, we've taken a lot of steps to, as best we can, mitigate, mitigate the virus. Social distancing in our sit-in areas, obviously no longer an issue because today is the first day of lockdown 2.0. So we are once again open for takeaway only. Social distancing in the queues, masks on team members and customers, perspex screens. So it's, yeah, it's been interesting. And then I suppose the biggest change we've made is not so much with our bricks and mortar, but it's the pivot to doing much more digitally and doing much more in the homes of our customers rather than in our shops. So how have you done that? <laughs> so I think this is the most interesting bit for Pratt and, and the, most in, the most interesting impact after the pandemic is at the point that we went into lockdown, near enough 100% of our revenues were driven by customers coming to Pratt. As our CEO puts it, at that point, we were chasing skyscrapers. We were very much kind of city-based or 
a lunch provider essentially for office workers and then overnight office workers are now working from home so we had to pivot exceptionally quickly and go from bringing the people to prep to bringing prep to the people wow that's, and that's such a big change isn't it complete operations change yeah it's a complete pivot if you think for 30 years we've been doing the same thing which is providing exceptional experiences fresh food fresh coffee in our shops and overnight that's not an option so it was a big move for us a big switch for us so I suppose two of the key projects have been a real push for delivery and the launch of our coffee subscription as well how did you pivot to food delivery did you opt for one of the third parties who are dominating London at the moment or did you set up your own operations? Up until sort of the start of lockdown, prep wasn't, we weren't big on using third-party delivery sites. We had a small test run with one of them, but we hadn't really moved to, to using the third party. So that's Uber Eats, Just Eats, Deliveroo. Because, and it comes back to that, how much control do you have? In our shops, we have, we've got this wonderful customer experience. We've got friendly, bubbly staff. They know exactly what they're doing. Our speed of service is great. And when you introduce a third party, those things can change. So up until that point, we'd been a bit reluctant about working with um, with third party suppliers. But like I said, overnight things changed and it became very apparent that to ensure that we could still provide our customers with great fresh food, great fresh coffee, that we would need to work more closely with third parties. So we really ramped up deliveries with Uber Eats, Just Eats and delivery. I guess that's such a massive advantage to be able to overnight tap into their delivery infrastructure. But with these delivery third parties, how do you manage the sort of order value to cost of delivery problem? Because, you know, I've noticed that my order from Pratt typically is quite low, which could probably match the price that I know that they're charging for delivery at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where it came down to making sure that we were front of mind for our customers in the time that we weren't trading. We, I suppose we recognize the customers might, where they might have been in an office every day and popping into prep every day for lunch and buying one thing. They might not be in the same kind of circumstances to be able to do that, to continue do that, doing that from home. But we still want them to think about us. We still want them to feel like they're getting value from us. The order size might go up slightly, but the frequency might go down a little bit. But we've worked to do free delivery. We've also worked to see where we could offer promotions for our customers, where we could add a little bit of value, perhaps with free packets of crisps or free cookies. I think one of the great things that Pratt did, that at least everyone I know talked about at least once, was this coffee subscription service. What was your idea there? Was that already in the roadmap? Was that a new thing? That's a good question. Um, so I suppose what the pandemic did and probably did for a lot of companies is it suspended the rules. I think if you think of a lot of organizations, there's this huge sense of inertia. It's this is the way we've always done things. It's always worked for us previously. And therefore, this is the way that we're always going to do things. And, it, you know, whether that's a hospitality company, an e-commerce company, I don't know, a house builder. There's once an organization gets to a certain size, there's this kind of sense of inertia and situations like this give you the opportunity to respond to that and give you and give you an opportunity to rip up the rule book, I suppose. And there's, there's typically two approaches that an organization can take. Now, one of them is, is probably what most of the travel industry have done, actually, which is hunker down, batten down their hatches, cut costs where they can and wait for the storm to pass. If people fundamentally can't travel, they can't travel. So there's very little you can do to encourage them to buy holidays. Yeah. So that's kind of option one. And option two is go right. The way that we're trading at the moment or the way we were trading is not sustainable for us right now. So we need to pivot quickly and we need to do something different. So for us at Pret, it was a case of, right, if we can't bring people to our shops, then how do we bring food to 
to the people that, that enjoy it, to our customers. And we had a lot of a lot of projects on the roadmap, probably for the next two to three years, enough to keep us busy. And what the pandemic kind of forced us to do is really accelerate those projects that were due for a year or two or were reduced to six months or three months delivery times. Okay, so was this one of them? Or was this like a new idea floated? So the subscription was one of them. So that was, yeah, so really, I, I mean, all of the projects, I think the subscription had the first, fastest turnaround time, mm-hmm. but it has been phenomenally successful. Are you able to tell me the numbers of people? That's, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I think our initial month one prediction was around 60,000 customers signing up and by the end of month one we were around 200,000. Wow okay so nearly four times three and a half times the amount. If I live next to a Pret it's a no-brainer it makes so much sense because it seems like cost very cost effective. Yeah absolutely if you drink a coffee every day you've made back your subscription cost in probably the first week or so. So something you mentioned actually just before we started recording was that as you've gone down into lockdown again people are a little bit unhappy about their subscription because they have less access to it. How is that? So I guess there's two two groups of customers. So there's the customers that are continuing to work. So that is, our, you know, our key workers who are still in the city. It's, it's people like, our, I suppose, our taxi drivers, our, our NHS people, it's people that, are, that can't work from home. So they still have access. So they're still able to redeem. We're keeping our shops open on this occasion. We're, we're open for takeaway still. And then we've got this other group of customers who are probably going to be working from home. Quite probably, you know, commuters perhaps from the home counties are a good example. So they might have access to Pret every day they're in the office, but actually when they're at home, there isn't a Pret nearby. Okay. That's a difficult group. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's totally understandable as well. So for them, what we've done overnight is we've put in the functionality to pause subscriptions. Okay, nice. That's, I mean, that solves the problem this completely. <laughs> so we recognize that, that there are customers that won't be able to get to prep shops. They might still want to, but realistically and pragmatically, they, they can't get there immediately. So we've said the right thing for us to do as a business is to pause subscriptions so people don't continue to be charged. And then we'll see them when it's safe to do so. I think that's just another reason why so many people love Pret. There's one thing that we talked about on this podcast with Alice Godfrey in our interview with her was Pret's initiative to give free stuff to people seemingly randomly uh, in the stores when you come in and they just say this one's on the house um, and how much of an impact that has on you every single time you get it. What was your reasoning behind that one, for example? And clearly you have like an ongoing theme of of doing very selfless and great customer experiences. What was the reasoning behind this one? It's something that historically we've always done. And it's, I suppose, so one of the core principles of Pret is be kind, honest and generous. And that really is kind of us ticking the the generous box. And it's, it's great for our customers and it's great for our team members as well. If we, we say to our team members, look, we want you to have fun at work. We want you to have a great time at work. And part of the way you can do that is if you see a customer who needs it, or you see someone who's deserving of it, give them a free coffee, give them a free cookie, do something to brighten their day. We've seen so many sort of examples where our customers written to us and said, I was having the most dreadful day. I went into your shop. My mascara was obviously smudged. I'd been crying. I'd been upset. One of your team members saw me. They were so generous. They, they clearly saw that I wasn't having a great day. They gave me a free coffee. They gave me a free cookie. And it really brightened my day and it made such a difference to me those kind of stories are great for us we want people to enjoy their experience at Pret. we have super fun super bubbly super passionate teams and the joy of Pret is a way of cementing those relationships between our team members and our customers i think that's what customer experience and customer service is about at its core 
creating those fun experiences for both your customers and your employees. Yeah, the fun is it for us. It's about those little moments of joy for our customers, about Mm -hmm. them, I suppose, having a great time with us. And, you know, where hospitality has such an opportunity is these face-to-face relationships, these kind of individual experiences you can have. As part of working at Pret, when you first start, you spend a week in a shop learning to be, learning to make sandwiches, learning to work the tills, doing a bit of cleaning and tidying as well. And everyone, yeah. Yeah, I spent my first my first week at Pret in my local shop and it's incredible to see our baristas, for example. I was amazed the first day I worked on the tills and there would be people walking through the door. So the door was the complete other end of the shop, probably 20 metres away, 10 metres away. And the barista would look up, they'd see the customer coming in and by the time the customer got to the checkout, their drink had already been made. Our baristas have this phenomenal memory for their their favorite orders, what they order every day. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just such a such an incredible experience. And it's what makes Pret Pret, I suppose. It's part of our fun, it's part of our experiences, it's part of those kind of those relationships that our staff build with our customers. That is amazing. And I think it's actually underrated. Uh, it's just something you feel, and I don't think people necessarily put that into words about Pret. One thing I think people will be thinking is how do I understand lock budget for this kind of thing most companies will ask you to prove a revenue case or prove roi from this kind of thing but being generous and and giving away things for free doesn't have a direct impact necessarily but it has to be part of your dna as a company yeah, absolutely and i'd love to take responsibility for it but this is this way predates my my tenure at Pret. no and like you say it's part of the company dna it is i think it's one of the things that attracted me to Pret. And it's one of the things I love about being here is that that being kind, honest and generous is genuinely a part of the culture. It's not a little tag printed over our, the doorway in our headquarters. It's something that our team members see and feel and experience. And yeah, and it's like you said, it's part of the culture. And because it's part of the culture, it works. People understand that there are some guidelines to it. And as a result, it works. Absolutely. And I think it's a goal that we can all aim for. We haven't got much time left, so I think I'll go for one last question. What is next for Pret? Okay, today is uh, the first day of new lockdown. So our priorities right in the moment are really ensuring that we can continue to to provide the best experience for those customers who perhaps can't get to a Pret. Continuing to focus on a delivery experience, continuing to see how we can best get Pret goods to our customers. For example, we signed up with Amazon in the not too distant past to sell our coffee beans so those customers that perhaps couldn't get a coffee in our shop could make a coffee in the their own home and with the same coffee beans that we'd use in shop and i suppose the the coffee subscription for us has been it's the kicking off point for us to start thinking about customer loyalty for prep we've got we're able to engage in our customers with our customers in a way that we weren't previously. So we're looking at what does that mean for our customers? How do we really build these great experiences and how do we recognize those loyal customers? And how do we do it in a way that is distinctly Pret? You know, how do we how do we inject a bit of that joy of Pret into loyalty and recognizing our loyal customers? Do you have any ideas? Lots of ideas. Those are the kind of things that we'll be looking at is what does loyalty mean for Pratt? What does, how might we encourage and reward our loyal customers? Nice. I'm looking forward to seeing that, whatever that is, whichever project mm. is chosen next. But. Keep an eye on our social channels. But yeah, but in the meantime, we'll be really working to make sure that our customers have the best access to fresh food, fresh coffee, wherever they might be. Cool. Perfect. Thank you very much. Is there anything else that you think... I have not asked that is a burning important question for people. Yeah, maybe. I think one thing that that's 
I suppose pretty important for everyone right now is this focus on, on digital products, especially if you are in the bricks and mortar retail sector is how do you engage with your customers digitally? And it's easy to have a lot of digital products going on, digital projects going on and with product owners who are very focused on delivering those projects. And I think as customer experience champions, if you like, we should be pushing for so not just an MVP which is a minimum viable product which is quite a, a, a digital product terminology people trying to deliver a kicking off point for their customers as customer experience experts we should be pushing for an MVE which is the minimum viable experience so we should be pushing for these digital products to really fit in and improve the customer experience overall so rather than delivering the minimal workable product we should be going what does the minimum experience for this organization look like how do we ensure that we deliver a consistent brand experience for our customers with the amount of digital projects that are going on at the moment for everyone and this isn't just a reflection on prep at all it's how do we ensure that, that our customers are having a truly exceptional memorable brand experiences regardless of the channel they speak to us on or regardless of the channel they interact with us on but there's lots of talk about mvp so the minimum viable product and probably not enough focus on the experience and, and how that product that you're about to introduce fits into your overall customer ecosystem there's absolutely a recognition that you need to get products out there and you need to test them but mm -hmm. if you're launching them with live customers who already feel this great sense of it, loyalty towards you and already bought into your brand experience the last thing you want to do is turn them off with a product that doesn't doesn't fit in consistently with the rest of your brand and the rest of your experiences that's really interesting because i hadn't heard of mve before is that something that people typically talk about Yes, probably, and certainly not as much as MVP, but, but the terminology does exist, yeah. And I, like I said, I think it's really important. It's so easy to get caught up in the delivery of a product and forget occasionally that you've got customers at the end of it and they don't necessarily know that it's a new product. They just want, however they speak to you, whatever your brand is, they want that experience to feel consistent. That's an excellent point to end on. I think, Ed, thank you so much. It's, it's been really awesome talking to you today. It's been my pleasure.